On today's episode of the John Campy Show podcast, the numbers are in, and July was the second biggest July in the history of the box office. Also, James Gunn addresses those Grant Gustin as the new Flash in the upcoming DCU questions. Also, Barbie has now officially joined the Billion Dollar Club, and David Ayer's Suicide Squad may actually get that air cut after all, according to James Gunn. That and a whole bunch more of the John Campy Show podcast starts right now. Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the best damn movie related show on the planet Earth, the John Campus Show, coming to you from right here in our quaint little studio, brought to you in part by our friends at Mint Mobile. I'm, of course, your host, John Campia, and it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day to have you, our international friends, gather around as we talk about our favorite things in the world, movies, movie news, TV, and streaming, and all sorts of good stuff, not just giving you our opinions, but giving you guys some history, information, and context so you guys can form your own well-informed opinions, whether they're the same or completely different from ours. Joining me in studio today, over here, we got Ray Ora. Hello. Right beside him is Jonathan Voiko. Hello there. Chris Carr is in the house. Hey, guys. And most importantly, you guys are here. Thank you so much for making the show part of your day. Here's how today's show is going to go. We're going to first talk about those topics I just listed off. And then in the last part of the show, we're going to take questions from our YouTube channel members. If you're listening to our podcast, we also have a YouTube channel that we run some videos on every day. And we have a great group of supporters over there known as our YouTube channel members. And every day we ask them to send in some topics for us to address. All right. With that all down, guys. Let's get into it here and start with this. You know, the pandemic uh, beat the living hell out of the movie industry. Because not only were movie theaters not open and people couldn't go see theaters. Actually, AMC Theaters, we talked about it on our YouTube channel earlier today. Uh, they're saying they may run out of money in the next year. Uh, so despite, you know, we've seen other movie theater chains close. But not only were movie theaters closed, all production was shut down. Tons of people were out of work. And I understand there were bigger ramifications outside of the world of movies, but we are here to talk about the world of movies. So that was that. So a lot of stuff did that. And a lot of people wondered if the movies industry could ever get back to where it was. I mean, I think everybody understood it's going to take time. It's going to be a process. But wow, July for the domestic box office hit $1.37 billion in the month of July making it the second biggest July in the history of the box office, second only to, I believe, was 2011, when a certain Harry Potter movie uh, was out during that month. Again, now, obviously, the two big contributing factors to that, and there are many movies that came out that month that did contribute, but obviously you're talking a lot about Barbie, you're talking a lot about Oppenheimer, and another number of other films. I mean, without a major comic book film really contributing all that much, which a couple of years ago would have seemed inconceivable, right? To quote Vincini, <laughs> that at any point, I mean, if you'd asked anybody a while ago, it, like you're going to have uh, a second biggest July ever, what's going to lead the way? Oh, obviously like four comic book movies. Nope, not this time around. Now, obviously there were some comic book movies generating some box. Obviously you had Flash, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse is still pulling in a little bit in the month of July, but it was really a couple of other big hitters. So, what does this say about the state of the movie going industry? Listen, people are still passionate about going to the movies. You can't go to a movie theater right now without seeing people done up in pink, 
I've even gone to the theater last week and I saw somebody wearing Oppenheimer's hat. <laughs> I mean, uh, people are just getting into it at this point now. Do I think that means August is now going to be one of the biggest Augusts ever? No, no, not necessarily. Nor September, or October, or November. But I mean, this is at least a really good sign to have this kind of a success for the industry as a whole going into this post-pandemic era. Anyway, Chris, you saw these numbers. Mm-hmm. I mean, Barbie just crossed a billion dollar mark, so sure, that was big. But overall, the box office hit 1.37, the second biggest in history. We've had a lot of big months of July, obviously being a summer movie season and everything. How surprised were you to hear that it hit that kind of number? And which films, if any, do you really mainly attribute that to? Or could there be other things to attribute it to outside of which movies were released? I do think it's kind of a perfect storm of of good things happening right now, basically, right? We do have people feeling more comfortable going to movie theaters, so there's that. But we also have wonderful movies in movie theaters right now. Right. The, the Barbenheimer effect is very, very real, and I think it speaks to the diverse tastes of audiences, too. Again, I don't think we have superhero fatigue. I think we have mediocrity fatigue, and I think having new, interesting IP is something that people have been yearning for. Yes, Barbie's established. Yes, Oppenheimer is historical, but it's interesting new stories to most audiences. This very, very interesting look at Barbie and how she relates to humanity and all of us as a whole, as well as generations of Barbie fans or generations of Barbie haters. Right. Oppenheimer taking a very, very dark time in our global history and examining that and looking through the lens of what you can do, should do, or should not do with science innovations in times of war. People have been seeing both of those movies. It's not just one demographic running to it, right? We've talked about the demographics for these two. Tons of men are seeing Barbie. Tons of women are seeing Oppenheimer. People just want to see good movies. Plus, we got TMNT in there. Now, I, so, I should throw, that throw out there that TMNT does not count for the July box. It doesn't box, count for so July, was, but... Just got to mention that. We've got really good things in movies right now for a very diverse kind of palette, you know? And that's what I've liked so much in July coming into August, seeing these movies, is it's just been really interesting, unique fare from every single showing. And they all haven't been firing on all cylinders for me, you know? Um, Haunted Mansion was thrown in there. It's a cute family movie. That I enjoyed, not to the same extent I have the other films that I've seen, but there's really something for everyone right now. And yeah, I Mission think Impossible, Mission also Impossible box too. Yeah, time. which more people should be going to see, in my opinion. Yeah. That one, I, I don't understand why people have slept on that, especially because of her. Oh my gosh, she's so oh, good. She's in so it. good in she's that. So good, at Rebecca Ferguson. I mean, come on. There's just something for everyone right now, and I think for a long time we've been relying on franchises, on formulas. And that's not to say these movies don't hit their beats and their marks, but I think we are yearning as audiences for just different kinds of things to challenge us than your typical summer blockbuster fair. Right. You know, it's funny because I had a discussion with a friend of mine this morning on the way into the office saying that, you know, I think my friend said, I think if you look at like Mission Impossible, that it's failure to really have huge success at the box office, which, by the way, is still confounding to me because it's a great movie. And timely. So timely yeah. for an action movie to actually hit those notes. Oof. So I'm a little con- confused by its, not failure, but, but I mean, its lack of bigger success. Sure. And a friend of mine said, well, you know, I think this is a sign, like when you look at Indiana Jones, which had its own set of issues. When you look at Indiana Jones and when you look at Mission Impossible Fallout, I think that it's that the audience is getting tired of franchises. And I said, well, here's the problem. If that were true, then you're saying that take Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 
and have it stay exactly the same movie, only change the name of it, call it The Adventures of Agent Buckheimer Ooh. versus the AI, right? right. So it's, it's not a Mission Impossible movie. It's a totally, it's not a part of the franchise, but it's the exact same movie, exact same dialogue, all that kind of stuff. I said, by suggesting that the reason it didn't succeed as well as it could have is because audiences are over franchises, then you're saying if they had just changed the title of the movie, it would have done better at the box office. And I don't think that's true. I don't think that's just true at all. I mean, look, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, it almost doubled what the original film did. That is part of a franchise. You know, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 cleared $800 million. Uh, that is part of a franchise. So I don't know if they're over franchises, but there is some interesting dynamics going on. And yet within the spell of that, with Indiana Jones struggling, with Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning not living up to its potential it still ended up being the second biggest July in the history of box office. And that's got to be kind of encouraging. What lessons are there to take away? I'm sure there are a lot of boardrooms where they're trying to figure out the exact ones right now. All right. With that down, guys, uh, let's move into this, shall we? Let's talk about The Flash. No, not the movie that just became one of the biggest financial flops in the history of the comic book genre, but rather... Where's the Flash going from here? You know, a lot of questions have been circling around the last year, or especially since James Gunn and Peter Safran took over DC, which is who's going to be Flash in the brand new DCU? The DCEU is gone. Well, we still got a couple of films to come with Blue Beetle and Aquaman, but the new DCU is coming. Who's going to be Flash? Some people speculate it was going to be Ezra Miller. Of course, we've insisted it was never going to be Ezra Miller again moving forward. Uh, but who's it going to be? One of the big names that gets brought up a lot is that of somebody who already knows how to wear the red spandex, Grant Gustin, who, of course, is the actor who got introduced as Barry Allen, Allen the Flash in Stephen Amell's Green Arrow and then got his own spinoff series, the Flash that ran nine seasons, nine seasons. Most shows don't make it to four. And this show lasted nine seasons. So a lot of people saying Grant Gustin is the obvious choice. Now, here's the thing. We as movie fans, and we're all guilty of it. I've done it. You've done it. Your mother's done it. Ray's done it. Ray's yeah, done it. I've done it multiple times. We really <laughs> like this morning too. to connect. I'm not even going to go into that conversation. What are you talking about? We like to connect dots where there are no connections. It's like, wait a minute. I just saw that Steven Spielberg had the letter S on a shirt he was wearing. That means he's going to direct a Star Wars movie. As silly as that sounds, we've all heard worse. Well, a new big buzz started going around that Grant Gustin was going to be the new Flash for James Gunn's DCU Flash. Because some people noticed, and I'm being serious, that Grant Gustin and James Gunn follow each other on what was known as Twitter and is now called X. They follow each other on that social media. Therefore, it created this new wave of buzz that Grant Gustin is going to be Flash again. Actually, somebody asked him, uh, not on Twitter, but rather on Threads, which uh, is where James Gunn likes to live now, but asked, uh, one of the users wrote, Hey, James, it seems you're following Grant Gustin on Instagram. Is it true? Uh, is it true that he's joining your DCU reboot as Barry Allen slash The Flash again? Or is he playing a different comic book character? Please, thank you very much. Listen, even in the question, it wasn't just a question as, 
<laughs> is he playing? Because if he's not Flash, he's playing another DC character. <laughs> so is he playing Flash again or is he playing a different comic book character? Please, thank you very much. To which James Gunn replied, very simply, uh, Grant was following me and I like him as an actor. So we chatted a bit and I followed him back. Very simple. What's the name of that law that the most simple answer is usually the correct one? Um, there's a name for it. Not Murphy's Law, but there's some sort of word for that. But yeah, it's a truism. He just said, look, look, guys, I'm going to point out a fact to you. Now, I have recently shut down my X slash Twitter account, so I'm not on there anymore. But I got news to you. Ready? This is true. James Gunn follows me on Twitter, and I follow him back. Oh, shit, are you going to be the Flash? I'm going to be in the DC. Oh, this is we all got jobs at DC. That's it's got to be true. We got jobs at right? DC. I'm very pleased. If you had a cell, <laughs> you had a cell phone on you, caught me at the gym yeah. this morning on the treadmill. Can only be one answer. I must be the new Flash, which is of course ludicrous and crazy. <laughs> Just like now, it's not crazy to wonder he had played Flash before. But look, James Gunn is in the process of removing things that are old and creating things that are new. And he is not creating DC, the CW universe. It would be a step backwards to get. And listen, Grant Gustin, who I like very much, was a great iteration of The Flash for a CW Flash. He was great in that. But that's what it was. This is a new Flash. This is something completely different. And I'd hate to bring numbers and facts into this, but the reality is... Nobody really wants to see Grant Gustin's Flash. If you want numerical proof of that, well, look at the ratings for Flash. Now, they started off strong in season one, where it averaged, and for CW, these are pretty good numbers. They averaged 4.62 million viewers per episode. But you're going to notice something here. Every year, the viewership did not go up like it did in Game of Thrones or other shows like that, the viewership every year over year continued to drop to where it was less than 25% of what its original audience was. So in year one, had 4.6 million viewers per episode. In year two, they lost about 400,000 viewers per week at 4.25 million. In year three, they dropped about 700,000, 750,000 viewers per week and went down to 3 million 500,000 viewers per episode. The following year dropped another half million to 3.04 million. The next year, over another half million to 2.43. By season six, they were down to 2.23. By season seven, they were 1.58. By season eight, 1.04. And by the finale, the final season, 0.86. That means... In the final two seasons of Flash, more people would watch John Campia videos in a week than tuned in to watch The Flash. And that is not an example of how many people watch the John Campia YouTube channel. On the contrary, it's an example of how few people were watching The Flash. The reality is this. If people wanted to see that iteration of Flash, if people wanted to see Grant Gustin as Flash, and by the way, again, let me reemphasize, I loved him as CW's Flash. I really did. I think he's great. But, if people were interested in it, they could have watched him for free playing Flash every week on TV for free. And more and more and more, less and less and less. And I'm not saying that was Grant Gustin's fault. Don't get me wrong. I'm not claiming that was exclusively Grant Gustin's fault. But 
Again, if people really wanted to see Grant Gustin as Flash, they certainly didn't act like it by tuning in to watch him play it, the character, every single week. So it would make no sense on two different fronts. On front number one, why, if you're creating a brand new DCU, why would you go back and dig up, you know, the CW Flash? As great as Grant is, and I can't wait to see what he does moving forward with his career. And the second thing is, if you were going to bring something over, wouldn't you go and grab something that was wildly popular to bring over? Like, if you really were going to go back and dig up something old, wouldn't you dig up something that was extremely popular, went out on top, all that kind of stuff? Again, instead of this, look again, season one, 4.62 million viewers per episode. By season nine, 0.86. And it never did better than 4.62. It never got better. The numbers at any rate. So uh, yeah, so it totally makes sense that James Gunn would come out and say, look, he followed me on Twitter. I like him. So I followed him back. That's the end of it. Anyway, uh, Chris, I mean, this discussion and debate and, and, and f- certain segment of the fan base wanting to see Grant Gustin, who I think is great, has been around for a while. Does this put it to bed or could you conceivably see a path where we could end up with Grant Gustin as our Barry Allen in the DCU? I think we could have Barry Allen played by Grant Gustin in the DCU in the same way we've seen other flashes return for the CW mm. when they became Jay Garrick and were multiverse people, right? I don't think right now at this time you are going to have Grant Gustin thrown into the DCU. He's hung up his tights. He's put away the spandex. He played it for several years. And I think the ship has sailed for him too, being particularly interested in this. And I know all of us actors, we always want to work and we love, we love getting paid for that work. (laughs) And the DCU I'm sure is going to pay well once things start going back up again. But I don't see him coming back to this. I think he would want to play a different character within the DCU as well. Maybe play a villain, maybe do something else just to stretch those muscles, you know? He's played the same character for about a decade. He's played this character for the entire time The Flash was being made as a feature film. That's, yep, that's so, true. So <laughs> I'm sure he wants to do something else. He's a dad, he's got a family. I'm sure there are other things that he wants to tick off on the box, you know? And I just don't think that's the right move. That being said though, the DCU right now seems a bit bonkers in what they are doing, what they're keeping, what they're shelving. So who's to say, honestly, you know, if we really are going to have this third Wonder Woman, if we really are going to continue to see Blue Beetle and maybe kind of cafeteria style picking Which and I don't believe we things, are going to continue to see Blue Beetle, to be honest. We, I mean, it really, right now, it's it goes back to kind of the old regime of the reactionary views of this is how I feel DC is approaching things right now. Well, we'll keep Blue Beetle if it does really well, which proof is going to be in the pudding there, right? Yeah. Well, we all know it's not going to do well. Because no one seems to care right now. I really yeah. want that movie to do well. What, what did they say the opening weekend projections are for Blue Beetle? Like 17 million or yep. something? Oh my gosh. And I, I'm very much looking forward to seeing it, but it it's not, no, no. one's going to go see it. That's oh, the problem. Also, the, the simplest answer to something is Occam's Razor. My coffee hadn't kicked Thank in. Thank you. And I was like, what? Gillette, I, I, my brain just totally beach balled of death trying to figure that out. <laughs> Ray, I, I got to ask you this question. Honestly. Truth, truth answer here. Come on, Ray. Truth answer? Truth answer. I don't like Truth essential. Have you ever sat down to watch an episode of CW's The Flash? Ray. Only if someone else was watching it. Like, let's say Ryan was watching it. Right. But I never, there's only some, there's one guy on there where every time I watched it, I was like, I can't watch this. It's that guy with the long hair. Like, because he was always whiny about something. Oh, uh, uh, Cisco. Yeah. Why? 
I was one of my favorite characters. I know, I, I know. And, and and then even Ryan said, even Ryan said, dude, he's he's really cool, but like every episode he seemed to watch, he was crying about something. And I was like, stop crying. That was my problem with Foggy on the Netflix series. And that's my Just problem with yeah, a lot of people said that. That's my problem with any CW character, even uh Superman and Lois, the little son that cries every time he's something. He doesn't happens. like emo. Yeah, stuff. but you no. Know, no, I never watched it. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that actor, he was very charming whenever I did watch an episode. I mean, I go but I don't but, you know. know. Well, actually, who knows what James Gunn is going to do with it. All right, Flash. let me throw this out there. there. There is, by the way, for everybody, at least one episode of The Flash you should watch. Look up the one that has a villain called Block. It's uh, Aaron Cummings' yes. episode. Oh, by yeah. the way, a uh, big congrats from all of us to Aaron uh, and her husband, Tom, who have just welcomed their second child. Yay! Uh, well, they're living down in New York now. And uh, I, I don't think they've announced the name of the child or anything, so we won't say anything here. But anyway, Grant. yeah, go watch Aaron's episode <laughs> of The Flash. Um, I, I, other than that, guys, I just don't see why. What's the business case for making Grant Gustin your Flash? Although, Chris, you did bring up something interesting. You said, oh, maybe you could play somebody else in it. I I wouldn't be opposed to that. No, he's a like, great actor. Grant, I, like if Grant Gustin was our new, a, a different iteration, a younger Perry White. Like if they introduced something like that, or I don't know, he's the new Steve Trevor, or he's uh, whatever. Yeah. I'm, I'm open for Grant Gustin appearing in the DCU. I just don't think he can be Flash. Yeah. All right, guys. With that down, we got a couple more things to talk about. We're going to talk about the billion-dollar Barbie and the significance of that movie crossing the billion-dollar mark as it did this past weekend. Also, James Gunn is apparently saying, yeah, people are going to see the air cut of that original Suicide Squad movie. But before we get to those things, we're going to take a moment and thank a couple of sponsors of today's episode of the John Campus Show podcast, our friends at BetterHelp, and of course, the delicious folks at HelloFresh. Guys, we want to thank a sponsor of this video, BetterHelp. Getting to know yourself can be a lifelong process, especially because we're always growing and changing. Think about it. The person you were five years ago is not the exact person that you are today. Therapy is all about deepening your self-awareness and understanding because sometimes we don't know what we want or why we react the way that we do until we talk things through. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist who can take you on that journey of self-discovery from wherever you are. And guys, striving for better mental health is something we should all aspire to. I've talked about this before, but when somebody goes to the gym, we applaud them for getting out there to improve their physical health. Well, it's about time that we start looking at mental health the same way, not just by encouraging the people around us to look into therapy, but by also taking the step to take care of our own mental health as well. So listen, if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a short questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. So discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Campia today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Campia. Guys, we want to thank a sponsor of today's video, HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm fresh, pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your door. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. And that's why it's America's number one meal kit. Fall is right around the corner and HelloFresh is here to help you plan for the busy season ahead with tasty dishes delivered to your door. Simply choose your recipes and pick your delivery date, then lay back and enjoy the last days of summer knowing that dinner is covered. Feel like you would love 
a wholesome homemade meal, but there's just not enough time? Well, with HelloFresh, all you need is 15 minutes and you'll be enjoying a tasty, satisfying meal made in your own kitchen. Just look for their quick and easy dinner options, plus quick breakfasts and lunches too. My wife, Ann, and I are both working professionals and dinner time is always stressful and time consuming. And that's one of the main reasons we absolutely love HelloFresh and we always end up with a great dinner. So go to HelloFresh.com slash 50campia and use the code 50campia for 50% off plus free shipping. Again, that's HelloFresh.com slash 50campia and use the code 50campia. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. And thank you to our friends at BetterHelp who are doing some great work. Make sure you guys go and check them out. And of course, HelloFresh, who have been a sponsor of our show for a long time for sponsoring this episode of the John Campia Show podcast. All right, guys, with that down, let's get back into it here and let's get on with this. Last week, we said it looks like by the end of this weekend, Barbie will cross that billion dollar mark, a mark that I didn't think it could get to. I mean, I thought Barbie would be a hit. I thought it would make a lot of money. But I had my doubts, more than doubts, that it could get to a billion dollar mark. Well, it defied all of it. All them naysayers, all them doubters like me that it could make a billion dollars. Actually, Margot Robbie, as part of her pitch to Warner Brothers, said this movie can be a billion dollar movie, which I'm sure some people in Warner Brothers' offices probably snickered a little. So, you know, it can make us some money. So, we'll, but no, 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 it made a billion dollars. And it has now become a couple of major landmarks here. First of all, it's become only the 53rd film in the history of the industry to join that coveted billion-dollar club. Also, it's become only the first movie ever solo directed by a female director to join the billion-dollar club. There have been one or two others that were co-directed by female, but this is the first one. So big ups to Greta Gerwig for breaking that wall. And here's the thing. It is now only the second movie to join the Billion Dollar Club this year. It's now officially, Barbie's now officially the second biggest film of the year and now has its eyes set firmly on that little Italian plumber mm. as it makes its way, maybe, to the number one box office spot of the year. Still has over $300 million to go, nearly a full Black Adam to get there. <laughs> but it's now three weekends in and it's still pacing ahead of Mario. Long way to go, but it is pacing ahead of Mario. Now, if we want to put this a bit into context, it hasn't been a lot of films joining the Billion Dollar Club lately. We have to go up all the way back to 2019 to even see the last five. The last five of them have been, of course, this year, Super Mario Brothers, which makes a grand total of $1.35 billion. Avatar The Way of Water, which is in even the more exclusive $2 billion club at $2.3 billion. Top Gun Maverick pulled in almost $1.5 billion. Spider-Man No Way Home came real close to joining that $2 billion club with $1.9 billion. And then back in 2019, Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker making $1.07 billion. <laughs> and notice, all of these things are part of, I mean, even Super Mario Brothers had an old live-action one. And Barbie, you know, Avatar's a sequel, Top Gun Maverick's a sequel, Spider-Man No Way Home was a sequel, Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker's a sequel, and Barbie becomes the newest member, the green jacket-wearing member of the Billion Dollar Club, which is pretty insane, and the numbers keep going. As a matter of fact, we talked about this on a short video we made about this on the YouTube channel earlier today, but wrap your head around this. Let's travel back in time one year, all right? And John Campia from 2023 appears to you and says, hey, just so you know, one year from now, 
on August 7th, Barbie in its third weekend will have made as much on its third weekend as the highly anticipated Flash movie will make on its opening weekend. Flash, how much did we say Flash made on its opening weekend? Like 55 50, million. Flash made $55 million on its opening weekend. Barbie made $53 million on its third weekend. I mean, I wouldn't even say that after its uh, initial teaser because I didn't like the initial teaser. Yeah. Of Barbie? Mm-hmm. Mm. It was just her kind of looking at the beach and I was like, okay. Well, I mean, yeah, I look until CinemaCon, I was extremely lukewarm about Barbie. It's like, yeah, okay, well, it's, it's got Margot Robbie, love her. She's one of our generation's great actresses. We've got Ryan Gosling, great, good Canadian kid. I think a multi-time Oscar nominated actor. Um, I mean, Greta Gerwig is a three-time Oscar nominated filmmaker. Um, I'm sure it's going to be interesting. I'm sure it's going to be interesting. Then CinemaCon hit, and they did this huge presentation of Barbie. And it was like, this is going to be a very different kind of movie than we think. This could actually be really good. Still never thought it could be a billion-dollar film. I think anybody in that room other than Margot Robbie said that it was going to be a billion-dollar film or they thought it would be a billion-dollar film was lying. But here we are, three weeks in, in the theaters, people still coming dressed in pink, going out and watching this thing. By the way... Also on the train with it is Oppenheimer, which crossed the half billion mark. It's now made more than Dunkirk did. So you got both of these films doing extremely well at the box office, doing great. But yeah, Barbie is now officially the billion dollar Barbie. The second and maybe the final film that's going to join that billion dollar mark this year. We'll see what happens with Dune Part 2. But anyway, Chris, it's now crossed that landmark. Mm -hmm. Billion dollar film. Out of all the, the, the interesting facts, figures... Uh, notable things, this and that. What's the most interesting takeaway for you? Maybe the one or two more interesting th takeaways for you about Barbie joining this billion dollar club. Is it the Greta Gerwig situation? Is it the, you know, how many few films in the last four or five years have joined that club? Uh, how do you see it? I think it's a combination of, of Gerwig and how many movies are in this club too, because I think we conflate numbers so much now of if a movie didn't make X amount of dollars, it's a complete and utter failure. Right, right? which is Especially, ridiculous. Yeah, we, we look at these box office openings each weekend and really it's just, did this movie make back its budget is really what we need to start looking at. And people kind of write movies off very, very quickly. But it's amazing that this has made so much money. I did have hope. I ha thought that she'd do well. She's doing great. I'm very excited <laughs> about this. I love seeing everyone in pink in my movie theater. It's so nice. But I think it's so incredible too that, that Greta Gerwig, who... I mean, when you really think about this movie, too, it, it hits so many of the themes that she likes to focus on as a director as well and as a writer. There's so many through lines from Lady Bird and Little Women in this movie of just family and the relationships between mothers and daughters and things like that. And to have somebody who I've, I've always viewed as more of an auteur take on Barbie and do something with mostly practical sets and effects and have it just dominate and... There's just the added bonus of, oh, and it's a female director who's breaking all of these, you know, um, uh, not boundaries. Um, I guess, yeah, she's just blowing the box office off. Like she's doing really, really well and making these historic numbers and beating out all other directors this year, too. I mean, she's doing fantastic. I love this for her. And I wish I, it's a bummer about the strike for many reasons. But, man, I'm, I'm sure her cast and crew want to celebrate her so much. Mm -hmm. I know there was a TikTok going around of Ryan Gosling sent a whole bunch of dancers as Ken's to to dance for her for her 40th birthday. <laughs> Did he really? Yeah, which nice. was really precious. 
Um, for so, Greta or for, for Greta, oh. yeah, of singing the "I'm Just Ken" song. Oh so I, I just wish, I wish for a multitude of reasons that the strikes were over. But man, I just want her to get celebrated so, so much. You know, at the Oscars coming up this year too, there's going to be an interesting race because listen, don't underestimate how good of a job Ryan Gosling does playing Ken. He almost steals the movie. I mean, it's, it was a really great character he got handed, and he did incredible things with it. But I'll tell you what, not only did we have this great success of Barbenheimer, but I think we're going to see a little bit of Barbenheimer face-off when it comes to the Oscars this year because I think we could see a really interesting race. And there are many more movies to come this year with other entrants to come, but there could be a really interesting race between Ryan Gosling and Robert Downey Jr. for Best Supporting Actor. Of course, Robert Downey Jr. was crazy good in Oppenheimer and very different performance <laughs> from uh, Ryan Gosling as yeah. Ken, but both of them kind of steal their scenes. They're both amazing. It They both add a whole layer to their films. Um, out of all the movies that we've seen so far, um, I think the, if they do have it, the um, behind the scenes blooper reel that I'm looking forward to the most is probably Barbie. Oh, I agree. Just because Ryan Gosling looked like he had a good time. Like, I, I could see that all of them had a good time. Maybe even like a in-depth view of the set because that set is incredible. Oh, like, so, well, I, remember at, at CinemaCon, Greta Gerwig was talking about how um, Fast and during Furious, their yeah. breaks, because they were shooting it that movie the same time they were shooting Fast and Furious. And during Fast and Furious, when they would be on breaks, crew and cast members would come over to the Barbie sets just to hang out on the Barbie set. It's a sight to see. I like, would love to see that behind the scenes. With, when they that. do that pan out in the movie, it's oh, like it's one great. of the best shots. It's like this, this thing looks huge. So yeah, I can't wait to see if they have it. I hope they have some behind the scenes stuff. All right, guys, with that down, let's move on to this thing, shall we? You know, we're kind of in a spot right now where, in two years, in 2025, James Gunn and Peter Safran are introducing us to a brand new DC universe, a brand new era for the on-screen heroes of DC. But there are often people who want to have the old stuff that they liked, which is understandable. We're all like that. Well, one of the things that a lot of people have been talking about in recent years was, are we going to get an air cut? Of course, David Ayer's Suicide Squad movie, the one before James Gunn's, was not exactly beloved, but it made bank. Ray, if you can pull up the numbers on how much money David Ayer's Suicide Squad made, but I think it was over $800 million. I could be mistaken about that, but it made a lot of money. Big amount of money. Uh, and $746 So $746 million. Okay, so way overperformed what a lot of people thought it was going to do. Now, But, but the I, opening, John, was $133 million. So That's had a huge opening yeah. weekend. Now, I am one of the people, I don't care what anybody says, I like this movie. I do too. I acknowledge it's a hot mess. It is a completely hot mess. Um, but there was stuff in it that just made me not wanting to get up from my seat. I just wanted to keep watching. I enjoyed it. I, I'm not going to tell you I fell in love with the movie, but I was entertained by it. I liked it. But I'm sure that David Ayer's version probably would have been better probably a lot less of that hot mess. Like when you didn't just bring in some music video directors to try to change up the whole thing. Well, a lot of people have been calling for years to see the David Ayer cut. And I've said for a long time that I don't believe they'll ever do that. There's not really a point to it, all that kind of stuff. But there's still people talking. Well, David Ayer himself now was 
there was a big exchange going on and he was like, look, how am I supposed to handle this? When people talk to me about the air cut, how do I handle this gracefully? And when, you know, I, I want them to be able to launch a new DCU, but I do love my work. and I think my cut of the movie is better. But David Ayers actually just publicly said that James Gunn has basically told him that there is going to come a time when we're going to let the world see your version, your edit of this movie. Uh, this comes to us from the folks uh, over at Cinema Blend who said, he added, David Ayer added, all I know is my unseen film plays much better than the studio release. The interest in my cut being shown seems real and organic. And Gunn told me that it would have its time to be shared. He absolutely deserves to launch his DC universe without more drama about old projects. In a way, I'm chained to this thing. I'm riding a tiger here and navigating the situation the best I can. Life is a very strange journey. And I'll tell you what, I think this was the perfect diplomatic answer to this. Say, yeah. hey, look, guys, James Gunn, he's got to be allowed to launch his DC universe without all this bullshit about old projects and all that nonsense. But in the midst of that, James Gunn has told me that a time is going to come where we're going to be able to show this thing. So what does that mean? Let me speculate here with you, but I feel pretty good about this. You're not going to see a re-release in theaters of David Ayer's Suicide Squad. But you've got Max. Mm -hmm. You can just drop it on Max. But no! Well, no, they, <laughs> did, see it they don't want to distract from, from, you know, building up to the James Gunn thing. They don't want to distract from Blue Beetle. They don't want... But to say that, that makes it thing. This is also very... I want to emphasize this. This is the most important thing. Of course, when everybody hears about air cut, they're going to try to equate this with the Snyder cut situation. But there is a fundamental massive difference between the Snyder cut situation and the David Ayer cut of Suicide Squad. And that difference is this, is that when everybody was talking about the Snyder cut, it didn't exist. They needed to spend $70 million to make that thing a real thing. Whereas with David Ayer's cut, it does exist. There's actually sitting on drives right now a completed version of David Ayer's cut of Suicide Squad. It's done. It's ready to go. They don't have to spend it. I mean, probably spend a little bit of money, maybe uh, bringing a few editors, maybe put on a little polish on it here and there. But essentially, you don't have to spend any money on this. Now, I want to take us back to like, again, just highlighting this big difference between what the Snyder cut was and why that was such a huge, long process thing, whereas the David Ayer cut may be a much easier thing. Back in 2020, after Warner Brothers confirmed that they were going to green light making the Snyder cut, the guy at the time who was the chairman of Warner Media, his name was Robert Greenblatt, he said this, he said the following, it isn't as easy as going into the vault and there's a Snyder cut there ready to put out, Greenblatt said in an interview. It does not exist. Zach is actually building it and it's complex. Listen to this. It's complex, including, and I don't want to get into too much detail that we haven't already talked about yet, new visual effect shots. It's a radical rethinking of that movie and it's complicated and wildly expensive. Complex, new stuff, Radical rethink, complicated, wildly expensive. None of those would apply to an air cut. It's there. And if 
James Gunn is able to launch his DCU and establish it, like not just as soon as Superman Legacy comes out, go ahead and drop Erica. No, no. Let the DCU get established. Let it put out four, five, six, seven of the first phase projects. Really get it stuff. Then there really doesn't become a drawback at that point to take something that's already done, already finished, already ready to be uploaded to Max and put it on Max for people who are interested in watching it to go and watch. The only real expense, Chris, I could see out of this is, you know, the licensing stuff. Like yeah. our residuals then going to have to be paid out and, and licensing fees. But yeah. that would be finite compared to like the 70 How much million they, spend they on had that? to spend yeah. to put a Snyder Cut, right? So I don't know. What do you think about this comment? How do you think David Ayer handled the situation? And under what circumstances do you think we could actually see this air cut brought to the public? How do you see it? I think he handled this like a class act because yeah, what a difficult situation we put into of, yeah, of course I want people to see the movie the way I wanted it to be made. But also, as far as I know, that ship sailed and now it's in this weird limbo place. I don't want to impede on this guy and I really respect him and love that he respects my work too. But what do you want me to do about it? <laughs> I think is the best way to approach yeah. this. And I think that's great because like we were talking about earlier, the waters are already muddied when it comes to the DCU. There are things that we don't know who's staying in. We don't know what's going on. So these extra releases could continue to just kind of dilute the water. Right. Now, that being said, if this is a absolute smash hit and people love watching this, you know, that's money in the bank for, for Warner Brothers. They've already spent the money they need to. And it would be when it comes to the residuals, it's theoretically the money that they would spend anyway, putting anything into distribution aside from how they're doing streaming, because all of that is nonsense and no one is very <laughs> forthright. Um, but I think it'd be really interesting to see his cut because, you know, for me, this was not a movie that I particularly enjoyed. You, you wanted to stay and watch you guys. I wanted to get up as quickly as I could. This one did not do it for me. I'm so sorry, Ray. Sometimes you and I have to disagree on things. Okay, fine. I know it's all right. I hope after this race, like I'm done with her. We're not friends anymore. I like his work and I thought he was such an interesting choice for this movie too. Cause he does such like boots on the ground kind of stuff, you know, fury. Um, was it last watch? End of watch. That's what it was. End of watch. End of watch is such a good movie. With Michael Pena and, and Jake Gyllenhaal. Jake Gyllenhaal. That was yeah. traumatizing. Which is it's, incredible. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that it movie so messes you up. And it's not my kind of movie usually, but gosh, it was so mm. emotional and raw and real. Ugh. And, I thought it was so interesting to bring him in for Suicide Squad and then, yeah, it became it became a very flash and trash kind of music video, in my opinion, if other people like it. I don't totally disagree. Cool. I think it's a hot um, mess of a movie. Yeah. I really, really do. And I and it was a, such a shame because what an ensemble, too. Rick that, Flagg, baby. I don't know. Your boy. Your boy, Rick Flagg. And, and you know, he's, he was saying, too, that uh, David Ayer was talking about, he says, there's one of the things that I know everybody thought differently and I don't give a shit. I really liked Jared Leto's Joker and and uh, Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn and their dynamic. And one of the things David Ayer promises is that there's a lot more of them mm -hmm. in his cut of the film, which oh. is one of the reasons I go. Well, then I take it back. Okay, I, I might be ready <laughs> to see this. Don't want it. But you know, one of the really unfortunate thing is is that that whole thing with that Suicide Squad experience it, it kind of derailed David Ayer, who is a really great film. You mentioned Fury, mm -hmm. which. Logan Lerman, Brad Pitt, John Bernthal, Michael Pena, Shia LaBeouf, Shia LaBeouf, who was, by the way, one of his best performances He's ever. He's incredible in that. in that movie. That movie Fury is amazing. It's, it's so, so underrated. Good. More and then, need of course, to see you, uh, uh, End of Watch, so good. But then this whole Suicide Squad thing happened. What was that? And followed up by Bright. <laughs> 
And it yeah. came oh, out with right, right so that he did with Will Smith yeah. and Joel. Joel Kinnaman. Or not, Edgerton. not Kinnaman. Edgerton. 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 Right. Uncle yeah. Owen. Yeah. Which <laughs> yes. was not good. It, it was gritty Zootopia. Yeah, it was trying to be. Yeah. yeah. And then he did work with Shia LaBeouf again in a movie that I thought looked really good. Remember oh, the one Tax Collector? collector. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which did not live up to what I wanted I didn't it to see be. That one. So I would love to see something like this happen and then reignite David Ayer's career because he is a really interesting storyteller. And I hope he can get that. So- Back on track. Mm-hmm. So you you don't you don't think you think that um you're that it should be released when the DCU James Gunn's DCU is rolling and rolling after on. it's firmly established because there's a big pocket between the big Blue Beetles uh, run mm-hmm. in the theater and Superman Legacy. I I would rather see it in that pocket where it's like, hey, let's let everything go so we don't hear about this anymore. Let let all everything that David Ayer is going through just so he can continue his career and not get questions. I disagree. And I, then start the DCU. You I think nah. you don't want, right now, the waters are already so muddied right now with them trying to establish, look, we've still got all this complaining and stuff about like, no, Henry is still Superman, restore the Snyderverse, all mm. this kind of stuff. You don't, all you're going to be doing is adding to that right now when really what they need to do between now and 2025 i mean look they've got to get blue beetle out and they've got to get aquaman 2 out but you don't want to add to that distraction you want everything to be about pointing to 2025 pointing to the launch of superman legacy and then let that go and remember this is not going to be important to anybody yeah only right so only the few people like me like you who i do want to see more jared leto's joker in that movie um it's all so you save it, put it away, and then in maybe 2027, 2028, say, hey, coming as a as a bonus to Max for our Max viewers, we're gonna have the director's cut of the 2016 16 version of Suicide Squad. Enjoy. As is as a fun little book. Again, because unlike say Snyder Cut, which wasn't a real thing. They don't have to spend $70 million to do it. It's there. They can just take it and put it up. But you don't want to do that when there could be potential drawbacks of putting it out. Mm. You wait till 2027, 2028, no drawbacks. You put it out now, there could be some drawbacks to that. could hurt you trying to get everybody's attention on what's coming rather than what was. Because you know what's going to happen. They put out air cut, and let's say we all like it. You know what's going to happen. Well, they should continue with this. They should bring back Will Smith and bring back that. This is because that's you know that's what'll happen. But that's then, exactly what'll happen. But then what? What if it's in the middle of his DCU run? Wouldn't that create more complication? That's just my the no, way no, I because by then everybody knows that's gone. The new thing's already here. You put it out before the new thing's even started. It's just going to amp people up more for saying, "No, no, don't do this new thing. Do this. Do you this." Can call it DC Legacies. That, DC legacy stuff. Why oh, not? Yeah, that's like why that. James Gunn better start off with everyone liking what they're seeing or else oh, there's oh going to be. Dude, listen, the, the, I, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say there has never been a DC movie that needs to be great more than Superman legacy. It has to be great. Mm-hmm. It has to, because you need to, with this one movie, not only establish the new universe. <laughs> foundation. Setting the foundation. You've got to 
it's got to be so good that it actually begins a healing process mm -hmm. from this massive string of failures mm -hmm. that have come out in that thing, right? So I don't think you're wrong. It, I've never, I can't really think of any other comic book movie that needed to be as great as this one needs to, to be. Because <laughs> the consequences of it not being great, it's going to set his new DC back a lot if they don't come out of the gate strong. So Absolutely. All right, guys. With all that now down, we're going to go over and start taking questions from our YouTube channel members. They've been sending in a bunch of questions. We're going to get through as many as we can. But before we address those, we're going to take a second and thank the other sponsor of today's episode of the John Campus Show podcast, our friends at Mint Mobile. Guys, we want to take a second and thank a sponsor of today's video, Mint Mobile. Signing your life away to a big wireless provider is kind of like being trapped on a roller coaster from hell. Sure, it looks like fun at first. They probably even threw in a free phone, but now you can't get off. Month after month of insane bills and unexpected thrills, like overages and surprise fees. If that sounds like your current big wireless plan, it's time to get off the ride with Mint Mobile. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are just $15 a month. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for just 15 bucks a month. You guys know before I came to Mint Mobile, I was paying triple what I am paying now on the standard big wireless plan, and I will never go back. All plans come with unlimited talk, text, and high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. To get your new unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped right to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com campia. That's mintmobile.com dot com slash campia cut your wireless bill to just 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash campia and thank you to our friends at mint mobile for being my mobile service provider and sponsoring this episode of the john campia show podcast all right guys with that down let's get over to our channel member questions here shall we chris what are we starting off with here from lore howard hello question is tyler perry studio affected by the strike he isn't amp uh, amptp but he does use sag actors technically speaking if his production studio and i do not know the answer to this if his production company is not a signatory of the amptp and he has an upcoming project that he wants to make now and he is willing to abide by the terms of the latest SAG offer to the AMPTP, then he is eligible to get a waiver for his project and they can use SAG actors, as far as I know. But again, I, I don't know whether or not his production company is indeed a, a signatory of the AMPTP or not, but if they're not, then just like A24, he can apply to SAG and get a waiver for his things. If he agrees to certain terms, they can get that. Do you have anything to add to that, Chris? I'm double checking right now to see if he is working with any AMPTP studios. Um, but I mean, Tyler Perry typically works independently. He sells things off to other companies um, and is notorious for doing things like with really, really quick turnaround. So but it, what I'm saying is what I'm saying, correct, that oh. if if he is not an AMPTP signatory, yeah, he can get and as long as he meets those, the latest conditions set by SAG to the AMPTP, He's, he qualifies for a waiver, yes? Yes, he would then. Okay. All right, what's next? From Kayak. Hello, guys. Do you sometimes can't decide what to watch just because there are too many options to choose from? Yep. I have like 80 movies on the watch list between my five streaming services, <laughs> and it happens to me more than once. I think oh, I need yeah. to clear them one by one. You know oh, what? Yeah. That's exactly yeah. my dating life conundrum I had before I met Anne. It's just... <laughs> 
There were just so many eligible but, bachelor. Uh, I'll tell you what. I stopped answering my door when oh the knocking. Oh my god! Straight to the door, huh? Straight to the door. Straight to the door. You meet him at the mall, the door. and then you're like, "Here's my address." Straight to the door. <laughs> they they Doesn't found they. a way, Ray. I gotta tell you, they found so a way. Different to date as a man. Is that DoorDash different? DoorDash. Yes, yeah, it did. DoorDash is different. Because I'm gonna tell you the story. Do you know what the closest it ever came to mine and Anne's? And this is serious. The closest mine and Anne's relationship ever came to ending was very, very early in our relationship. Did, is that the night you came over? No, no, and no. We talk, no, no, no. Because I know that was your first biggest fight. I think where you actually came. Do you remember that when you came over and you talked to me? Oh yeah, I think so. Yeah, we've had a, like in all in, in dead seriousness, and this concerns some people. I think Ann and I have had three fights in 13 years of being together. That's weird, man. I think we've had three fights. Mm. But it came close because when I moved, speaking of people finding my door, because people knew I lived right across the street from the strip club in Hollywood yeah, that's featured on the beginning Seventh of- Vale. Seventh Vale. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, my my building was right across from it. My uh, It was called the- uh, Poinsettia Apartments. It was great. It was actually a great place right beside a Ralph's. Right next to that Bossa Nova restaurant. Oh mm. God, how good was that? I, I missed that, that Bossa, Bossa Nova, Nova rest so much. I, they had the best Brazilian. I think my one of my best friends might have lived in that same apartment complex and that's where I met Logan. <gasps> really? Yeah. Because oh it was like on Poinsettia. Yeah. And that's like, like, it was the first place I lived in LA and because I, mm -hmm. it was really expensive, but I was like, I'm moving to Hollywood. So I'm going to live da, right da, on da, the, da, so I'm going to live right by the Sunset Strip. I'm going to be right in Hollywood. It's going to be so cool. Oh. Anyway, so I, I moved there and Ann and I had been, started seeing each other. And then on Halloween, now it's, it's a little bit of a distance from Riverside yeah. to Hollywood, it's right? Sure. Time of day. And Especially given time of day. So it was... Halloween, she decides she was going to come over and hang out with me for Halloween, and we're going to hang out in, in Hollywood. It took her th over three hours to get to my place. I think, yeah. And by the time, whenever she would come over, I had to go downstairs and click open the parking gate so she could take the guest park, parking spot. I kid you not, when she parked and she got out of the car, she was in tears. Yeah. And she was like, I don't know that I can do this again. I mean, <laughs> like, especially that area because you've got that Hollywood parade, uh, the oh, uh, Halloween the parade house. and all that near you. So yeah. Um, yeah. can we go back to the uh, viewer's question? The actual oh, question, yeah. though? Oh, yeah. I did. Uh, check this out. On Friday, I binged all of Hijack. I finished Oh, it. did you? And I and I really like it. But the ending is, uh, what do you think, Chris? Oh, wait, wait, you can't really. Okay, well, uh, yeah, I did binge it. So, yeah, I finished. But I, I'd say a successful streaming session for me is going through all my services and adding to my queue. Yeah. Like, all right, that was productive. And then I go do other things. And then you never get around <laughs> to... There's too many things to choose. There's just... I mean, look, it's... As Robert would call it, it's an embarrassment of riches. Yeah. Right? There is so much content out there to to watch. Mm -hmm. That's why, like, when people write to me, how come you haven't talked about Insidious? Well... Number one, I, I wasn't really interested in Insidious, but I can't watch everything. And I don't make myself watch everything. So, and between that and television, I mean, like, winning time is back. But mm -hmm. we were busy, so I haven't had a chance to watch and it I yet. I still got to be in season one. Star Trek uh, Strange New Worlds, which I love season one. I haven't had a chance to start watching season two yet. They're, not, they're like five episodes in now. There's, there's a series called Physical that I was reading about that has three seasons. I kind of want to start Is that, that on your sex court TV? No, 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 no. It's an Apple no? TV Plus. It's okay. about some girl that grieves through aerobics or something. I don't know. It just got a really high rating. She That's does what, I what through aerobics? Uh, she finds aerobics because she's been abused or something like that. I don't know. Something like that. I, Wait, Physical? 
Yeah, yeah. physical. Oh, you oh, said Greaves. She, she um she uh starts like a, a fitness empire. Oh yeah yeah yeah. She yeah. does like she's I thought you said she breeds no, through no, aerobics. No no, no, like, no 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 no. What kind no, of no, show no. is but, this? But it's because she had like a like a like a tough past, right, or something. Well, like she's that. she's a housewife in like the eighties and nineties, and historically hasn't been great for her. All right, what's next? Um, from Amin. Binge hijacked over the weekend and really enjoyed oh, it. There you go. <laughs> this is Benson Brothers. Thrill. was fantastic. And other than some stupid character choices near the end, yep. the writing for the most part was also great. Highly recommend. Mm. Who's seen it and what were your thoughts? Well, the only person in the room who's seen it is Ray. Oh, yeah. no, you saw it yeah. too. Mm-hmm. I do want to watch it. You, enough of you guys have told me about it. And Apple TV Plus has just been <laughs> killing it. I, with start, stuff, so. I started it at 11 on Friday and I ended it around... I didn't go to sleep like 6 a.m. in the next morning. I watched it all the way through. How I don't know. It's one of those things that I got to do. That's the danger thing with me starting a new show late at night. The danger is I won't get to bed if that happens. I so. had all Saturday, though. <laughs> all right. What's next? <laughs> From Red One Real Talk. One small complaint I have about stories like Invincible is it gets a little stale when heroes with Superman-esque powers are only distinguished by experience and no other power scaling metric. Does this bother you at all or am I overthinking this? I'll be honest with you. (laughs) It's been a while since I've watched Invincible. Um, I need to watch the new stuff that came out. Oh, yeah. They had that Adam Eve special special come out. That's right. I do want to watch that. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll be honest with you. That's never really... I do get a little tired when sometimes the super beings are just so ridiculously powerful. Like it just, it seems to grow on a not never ending scale. Like what's the name of the lion headed guy? Is that battle beast? Yeah. Is that his name? Like when he shows up in the show, like invincible is actually supposed to be invincible and battle beast shows up, just beats the living shit out of him to the, to an inch <laughs> of his life. And then of course you got Omni man. And then, then you've got the, Frickin' singer of Bohemian Rhapsody is actually the head of his of his planet. Anyway, it's just it does get a little tiring sometimes. But if you do it right and doing it in an interesting way, it can still work really well narratively. If you do it right, not they don't do it right all the time. All right, what's next? From Joel, although uh, Mission Impossible Seven will cross five hundred million in this next week, I'm still surprised it didn't make more. I thought with its quality and critic and audience score, uh, audience loved it, would make it at least the same as the last one, Fallout, approximately seven hundred fifty million, which is very highly regarded, decent, but overall disappointing box office. It's true, and listen, there's going to have to be, and again, a lot of I say this all the time, a lot of movies would kill to make five hundred million dollars to the box office. But expectations for Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 were significantly higher, especially considering that you're right. Critics loved it. Audiences love it. Word of mouth is great. Really good marketing campaign. Barbenheimer. No, because the movie... No, no, no. No. Because the movie wasn't made... So you could say that if Mission Impossible made tons of money its first two weeks and then all of a sudden it dropped off when Barbenheimer came out, but it didn't. Mm. What? Look it up again. What was the opening weekend for Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1? Because it was not nearly as big as people thought it I was. I was bummed, man. I wanted to see it. I was not feeling good, so I couldn't make it that first weekend and missed it. Uh, you're so, talking about opening? I wanted yeah. to see it on IMAX. 54 million. So what Barbie made in its third weekend, it made about as much as Flash made on its opening weekend. So it wasn't Barbenheimer because Barbenheimer yeah. wasn't out yet, right? None, neither of the Barbenheimer movies are out yet. So there's going to have to be at some point, how can you have a movie 
where Tom Cruise coming off a $1.4 billion Top Gun in a beloved franchise that granted never made a billion dollars, but has made consistent money with a terrific marketing campaign with great critic scores, with fabulous audience reviews and word of mouth. And it's going to crawl over the $500 million mark and not probably not get to six. No, I don't think so now. I, I have no explanation for this. I really don't know why people loved it. It's a great movie, great marketing campaign, momentum of success. And yet here we are. I am, I'm starting to buy into this theory. I brought it up on the show last week that maybe instead of helping it, the popularity of Top Gun Maverick may have hurt it. Maybe, maybe people are like, no, no, no. Top Gun is my, uh, is my vehicle for Tom Cruise. I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe. Do you think it's possible that, um, that people are like, oh, it's all about the stunts now, though, and not the story. Do you think maybe that's becoming an overshadowing to it, and that's a problem? If it, I would say yes, if it wasn't for the fact that everybody loves the movies. Yeah. Right? Like, if the last one, what was the last one called? Fallout? Mm-hmm. If the last one got mediocre responses, then yeah, I could see that. But people genuinely loved that movie. Mm-hmm. Great response, great review. And then the same thing here. And yet, now maybe the one weakness, and I bring this up a lot, of the marketing campaign for Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning is it didn't really give a clear idea what the story of the movie was. Like, I always complain about that, but you'd think if any franchise didn't need it so much, it would be Mission Impossible, which is going into its seventh film. And if you, you know what the Mission Impossible movies are, right? But maybe the fact, like, I honestly didn't know what the premise of the movie was until I went to go see the movie. You mean part one of the story? Because part, it is a part one. <laughs> yeah, part one. Like, nobody, they, like, for instance, I had no idea that AI was the villain. I didn't. Until I went to go see the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? So they didn't actually tell you just... Hey, there's going to be car chases. So maybe this is once again an example of <laughs> the the trailers look tantalizing, but you didn't tell the audience what the movie was about. And I I don't know. I I'm just now I'm just speculating. I have yeah. no idea. But this there's going to be a massive post mortem on uh, on this movie when it's all said and done. All right, let's take time for two more. What's next? Oh, I think we did that one. Here okay. you go. From Red One Real Talk again, I was re-watching the Matt Reeves Planet of the Apes trilogy and was curious what you thought of these films. I think you like them. Uh, <laughs> and where's your anticipation for the fourth film with Daphne Keene they're developing? Well, not all three of them were, were done by Matt Reeves. Um, which one did he not direct? I don't uh, think he directed the first one. And I'm, I'm trying to up. remember who directed, but he, but Matt Reeves did not direct all three of the of the first uh, uh, of the uh, Planet of the Apes movies. I really like the franchise as a whole. I did not like the third film. And it's one of those. Yeah, he didn't do the first one. It's it's one of those rare movies to me. Like often if there's a movie I don't like, I get why other people would like it. If there's a movie I like, I get why maybe some other people don't like it. This is one of those movies where I don't understand why people like this movie. I mean, hey, it's still all subjective. It's all great. But to me, it was a really poor film. Don was good like, though. His what's first, that? I think his first one, Don, was really good. Oh, Don, which was, was the middle fantastic, one, fantastic, yeah. right? But like the third one was, first of all, one of the most, one of the biggest misleading ad campaigns ever, because they really in the trailers and in the artwork. I did a special video where I think we were still like either I think we were at Collider when that movie came out, but I did a whole special video about all this marketing campaigns. Like, okay, this shot in this in this marketing, 
That's not in the movie. That shot, this big scene on the poster, not on the movie. This shot, not in the movie. They made it out to be this, this is the movie now, the climactic battle between humans. It never happens. It's actually not a part of the movie. It was a slow, dry, dull movie to me. Because it ended on a bit of a whimper, because I loved the other two films, I'm not going to lie to you, I have no excitement for this next one. Now that can change once trailers start coming out and I start getting a sense of maybe what they put out a synopsis and that can change. I can get excited, but as of right now, I have no excitement for me. It also doesn't help that as far as I can tell, Andy Serkis isn't coming back. I mean, obviously we know Caesar won't be a part of it, but still. So yeah, to be, I don't know, Chris, what are you feeling? Are you, are you feeling the new Planet of the Apes, are you counting down the days? Do you not think about it? I didn't know there was going to be another one. There we go. I was like frantically looking on the internet just now like, wait, what? She's going to be in the... Because I love Daphne Keene. Yeah. I think she's a wonderful oh, she's young great. actress. I oh can't wait God. to see her in Acolyte. Oh, I'm so excited about Acolyte. Oh my yeah. gosh. But I mean, I like the Planet of the Apes movies. I, I show them all the time in class too to show how how wonderful mm. mocap is, especially Andy Serkis's work. I mean, he's always just a master class in anything he does. But I'd like to see something new. I like the movies. Yep. They're good. All right. Let's take one more question today. What's next? From Spoofaman. 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 Do you think that after Superman Legacy wraps filming, DC will start to film the next DCU project? Or will they wait to see how Superman Legacy performs and assess from there? No, 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 no. There's going to be overlap. No, no, no. See, that, that was, in one statement, was exactly what was wrong with the old Warner Brothers. The old Warner Brothers was always so fucking overreactive to every new thing, right? It's like they would have a plan, but the moment something was a little bit better than expected or worse than expected, they freaked out and went, change directions. Yep. James Gunn will not do that. <laughs> he will be reversed. No, <laughs> I, I guarantee you the next two or three DC projects will be in production by the time Superman Legacy is, hits theaters. Right. And because they also got to get this thing rolling because the first thing isn't coming out till 2025. If they didn't go into production on the next DC thing, then the next DC movie wouldn't be out until at least 2027. I'm going to go one up, John. What's that? I'm going to say they're going to play the trailer to Superman Legacy 2 in front of Superman <laughs> Legacy. <laughs> That's how forward they're going to do it. And it completely spoils what happens in part one. Um, I'm just yeah. So, so no, they are not going to wait until after. And, and assess from there. No, they're going to, they've got a plan. They're going to invest in the plan and then they're going to live and die by their plan. And as things go, they'll make, they'll just like halftime adjustments at a football game. They'll make some little adjustments here and there where they go. That's absolutely what they should do, but they're going to have a plan. They're going to stick to it and they're going to live or they're going to win or lose, live or die by that, by that plan. And, uh, and we'll see how it all goes. All right, guys. And that'll do it for today's installment of the John Campia Show podcast. Thank you so much for being here, making the show part of your day. Big special thank you to our YouTube channel members for sending in those questions and giving us fun things to talk about. Hey guys, don't forget, if you happen to be taking in the show on the YouTube channel, the best experience of the John Campia Show podcast is uh, as a podcast. Check it out and sign up for free, by the way, to our podcast feeds, either on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app of choice. So the next time you're commuting or at the gym or whatever, and you can only listen to an audio podcast, it'll be there when you need it. So until next time, my friends, I want to thank the people in the room with me, Ray Aura, Yurt. <laughs> Jonathan Boyko, 
Yeah, that. <laughs> Chris Carr. Why did you say you're? I have no idea. Mutant mayhem, baby. My, my name's John Campia. And until next time, my friends, bye-bye. <laughs>